Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Caught Offside with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes. Caught Offside from just outside of New York City. Apartment in Brooklyn, New York, Andrew Gunling and JJ Devaney. What's up, brother? What's up is I'm waiting for my apology for the way you berated me right before we started recording. If you're wondering why the audio sounds different tonight, it is because the worst thing that can possibly happen to a podcaster happened to me mere seconds before recording. My mic broke. It's really the worst thing you could. You could say to somebody who does this, who who podcasts, your mic is broken. It's it's like you told me my my car has been totaled. It's it's to that level. And then as it's happening, you you step in like, oh, I'm going to save the day. Oh well, what what was it you said? It was something like I uh, said. Is is do you have any anything other? Have you any other uh, thing that you can use? Like, and I I didn't right, mean like, as if I as if I wouldn't have considered that. Let me go and get my other microphone. Yeah, yeah, because it's crazy that a guy who worked for 15 years at the biggest sports broadcasting company in the world wouldn't have more equipment. That couldn't possibly happen. How many microphones does a person have? You need to I stop have one. How many you do you need, have? You need to stop getting your equipment out of Happy Meals, all right? It's a Yeti. It's a famous brand. Okay. I've had it with them. Yeah. I mean... We're, we're, I'm sorry, guys. I apologize. We're just going to have to suffer through this with uh, with. I know Andrew. it sounds awful. It does. And it's I have bad. a cough. And I used to be able to mute it on my microphone. You're going to have to deal with it tonight. <laughs> can you not? Can you please not? That, uh, that's for you. That's for you, and your suggestion. Well, you can. Um, you can edit your voice. Uh, edit your voice in 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 the edit in the post edit. You you know post production. Do whatever you can with it. But th- no, this I, is. I'm going to make the coughs louder. Oh my god! Out of so, I don't know who I'm punishing anymore. I just need everyone to be as miserable as I am right now. I'll tell you what, though, this is a serious podcast. There's some really, I, I know that's the problem. It's a great pod. Huge things have happened in the sport today uh, and over the weekend. We're going to talk about them. The Gio Reyna 
Greg Berhalter investigation was completed by U.S. Soccer. You had a, an amazing interview with Gavin Cooney about everything with Gary Lineker. Uh, thankfully, you did that earlier in the day, and I wasn't a part of it, which normally I would say is not a great thing because you can't be trusted on your own. But in this situation, I have no microphone, so it would have sounded like dog S. We had huge, huge impactful results over the weekend. A lot of people are going to be tuning in for this podcast, and it sounds terrible now. Yeah, and it's and listen, you know, because I know your background, you know my background. As 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 a joint people, we carry a lot of guilt and shame for everything, and you don't need extra shame on your shoulders. You're guilty about everything. I know. So, so I feel bad that this is happening. Me too. Me too. I'm, I keep looking over at the mic. I, I took it out before I smashed it on my dryer. I'm in my laundry room. And I keep like looking at it with contempt. Like it, like it's like I'm punishing it right now. Like <laughs> I'm really mad. I'm, I'm really mad about this. It was guys. It was so uncomfortable. So uncomfortable to watch his levels of frustration build into anger. And, you know, anger, repressed rage, all those things. Look, the man is sick. You're you're a sick man, and I let's just try and get through this. All right. All right. Like I said, we have a lot to get to. We'll get to it right now. Uh, let's start, JJ, with the biggest story here in the U.S. today. Um, I guess I don't know when I thought this investigation would be complete. I knew it wouldn't go on forever. But uh, irregardless, it still surprised me. Like, all of a sudden, it, it appeared on my Twitter timeline. I was like, oh, my God, look, look at these incredible quotes that are coming down from this report. Um, as the uh, U.S. Soccer Federation has completed its investigation into everything happening between Greg Berhalter and his wife uh, and the involvement of the Reinas in all of this, um, they've completed Those were the, the two key points. Yes, and the the... I guess the most important point to recognize before we even get into all of the ancillary ancillary points around it is that U.S. soccer has determined that Greg Berhalter and what for whatever whatever things he did in the past, they do not make him unemployable. He is still very much a candidate for the job. Nothing that has happened uh, has ruled him out for consideration for the U.S. men's national team head coaching position. So there's that. If you were thinking that this was going to come back with some returns saying Greg Berhalter cannot be considered for this job, we cannot move forward with this coach because of his past transgressions. That is not at all what this investigation found. Um, I'm not going to no. say it, it exonerates him. I mean, he admitted to everything that he's done, but he was extremely forthright in the investigation. They they make that abundantly clear. Um, and he is still on the table as a potential head coach for this team. Now, I, I I still am of the belief that that's unlikely. I think his his speaking to the, uh, the, the business think tank was unconscionable and a break of, of team ethics. Ethics he set down himself that everything would be kept in-house. And therefore, I think that's reason enough to move on from him. But Alston and Bird, who were the investigators, uh, they say this leads us to conclude that the fact of the 1992 incident does not prevent an employer from employing Mr. Bearhalter. There's no basis to conclude that employing Mr. Bearhalter would create legal risk for, for an organization. And on the other side, uh, I'm reading from The Athletic, the investigation also concluded that the communications between the Reinas and U.S. soccer officials did not violate any laws or U.S. soccer policy, but it did not determine whether it violated the FIFA Code of Ethics, a violation potentially in play because Reina was an official with NYCFC and Austin FC at the time of the communications. We'll get more into into the Reina a part of this, but um, 
yeah, no, so there, there's literally, the, the investigation does not exonerate Berhalter, as you said, but it also does not um, put any blockade in the way of him being considered to to sign a contract for another term. So before we exit this conversation, we'll get back to Berhalter and his whatever this means for his future with the U.S. men's national team. But before that, I think the Reinas, to me, are actually the more interesting element of this, J.J. Yes. Danielle Reyna to an unnamed U.S. soccer employee. Once this tournament is over, I can make one phone call and give one interview and his cool sneakers and bounce passes will be gone. JJ, here we are. Like, the whole world knows the secret now that the Reynas were keeping. Was it worth it? Has this gone the way that Danielle Reyna, when she made that comment, has this gone the way that she thought it was going to go? Is this the win that they thought this was going to be? I mean, look how look at where we are now after this. They thought that this was the ace in the hole. This would solve all their problems with their son. He'd get the playing time that he needed. We'll, we'll make these threats. They've now dragged the family through the mud and forced them and their kids, for that matter, to relive this chapter of their lives that they thought they'd put to bed 30 years ago. And in the name of what? In the name of what? Playing time. Like, yeah. that, that's what this is about. Effing playing time for their son. And I look, I understand the passion that parents have and wanting to see their kids thrive. But in this report, I mean, Greg Berhalter, I think others too, they, Berhalter talks about it on the Reina family and their behavior in Qatar. He says there were 150 people in the friends and family program at this year's World Cup. All were having a great time except for five people who were absolutely miserable. Those five were cursing, acting horribly. It was the Reina's. Ernie Stewart in the report makes a point of saying in 20 years of soccer, he's never dealt with any other parents that have acted the way that the Reynas have acted throughout the last, mainly from 2016 up through 2022, as Gio Reyna was going through the program. Like, was it worth it for them to have gotten to this place now? They've embarrassed themselves. Claudio Reyna's name, which was once a historic name in U.S. soccer, it's tarnished. It just is. Gio Reyna, fans of U.S. soccer, like me. I am a fan of U.S. soccer. I don't know that I'm a media member. I don't know. I'm not in soccer. I'm a fan of this team. I look at him differently now for how all of this has played out and for the way his parents have come to uh, what they thought was coming into his defense. But in the end, it's it's not that at all. It's all gross. All of this is gross to me. And the rain is, I mean, look, Bearhalter ultimately, will, like I said, we'll get to his side of it because he's part. He's obviously a huge part of this. This does in no way excuse what he did on that night in 1992 that's disgusting behavior i'm sure he regrets it every single day of his life it certainly sounds from this report like he like it's something that he's you know he's tried to do the right thing since then but it's mm. something that he can't let go of he, he uses the words i have to own this he he's well aware of that he knows he can't run from this but for the rain is to bring all of this back to the forefront around a world cup for playing time uh it's disgusting to me it is it just is yeah i i i i'm i'm with you on that I think Claudia Reyna comes so badly out of this whole uh, fiasco that I think, I mean, it feels impossible that anyone would hire him again as an executive, a club executive. I don't, I just don't know how it would be the case that he, that anyone could hire him. I'm wondering if it's, I'm not wondering. I'm pretty sure it's why Austin FC moved him into some kind of vague position so that they could get him out of out of a powerful position at their football club. The, the way he acted has been 
Um, dreadful. And it's not just this incident. It's since 2016. The, some of the comments that were made that are, are um, logged in the, in the investigation are terrible. Absolutely terrible. And there was a, a bullying and a hectoring about about uh, about the way he went around about things, the way he contacted uh, U.S. soccer officials, um, kind of challenging them on 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 Geo's role. Um, like it did, it it didn't sound like a guy who who was a pro himself, who understands how this whole thing works, and that it, you play based on your merits. You know, you're a professional. You act like that. You get on the field because you are playing well or because the coach wants to play you in the system or whatever. It was just, I've talked about this before and it's it's hard to do it today when you see the, the raw detail of what, of what the Reinas did. Um, but the way they're acting just like there's, if we had time and probably the, the education and the nous to discuss whatever pain is driving this. Cause this kind of behavior comes from a place of deep anguish and pain. And I, and I, like, I would think it comes from the loss of their son and how, how much geo has, was connected to, to, to his brother and, and how much he represents his brother going forward. I mean, but to say that now, just the way they've torched and hurt people, um, I don't offer that as an excuse, but, but it is I, part of it. But it, it is part of it. It has to be. It has to be. Um, it's it's shocking to me some of the stuff that was uh, that was said. Absolutely shocking. And you know, um, nobody nobody wins from this. There's 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 no winners. It. Nope. The word I the word I couldn't get away from today, Andrew, was the vindictiveness of it. It's so vindictive and nasty. It's terrible. And you can. I'm not interested in whether today I'm not interested in whether you think Greg Berhalter should be in consideration to continue his work as U.S. manager. I'm really not. That's a. I think that's an honestly a side issue. The Reynas, uh behaved just terribly, so badly, and um, and and they're the losers out of this ultimately. Yeah, I mean, they are. But but I agree with what you said prior to that, is that there are no winners in this. No one comes out of this looking good, except for maybe Brian McBride and Ernie Stewart for just getting out of this toxicity. For just <laughs> leave. Ernie Stewart found PSV. He's got a good job. He's in a better place, I'm sure. Like, I mean, it's just funny. Like, you see you see a situation like this. Like, from the outside, the men, being like the head coach of, of the U.S. men's national team at a World Cup, you know, being the the general manager of U.S. soccer, like we love this, we love U.S. soccer. Like this, those are things that from the outside seem like a that seems cool to be able to do that. Look at this, what they're dealing with: getting angry text messages from Claudio Reyna, Daniel Reyna, making veiled threats about exposing some secret that she has about the the head coach of this team because he's not playing her son enough. I just wonder, as I was reading through some of this, JJ, because it seems like for most of this. When, when the Reynas started making these threats about Bearhalter, that they seemed a little bit kind of oblivious to how this would all look if it were to get out. Because in the end, here we are, like I said, we're sitting here and and the Reynas are coming off almost every bit the loser in this that Greg Bearhalter is. Um, but And I, I'm trying to figure out if there was a moment where, where that hit them, that, uh-oh, 
this is not going to go the way that we thought it would. And I think it did. Like if you read through, I give credit to Paul Tenorio. He he did a, a write-up basically on this for The Athletic that is extremely in-depth. I, I would tell everyone, go and read the full report. But like if you can't, Paul Tenorio does a pretty damn good job of laying out everything, the history of yes. everything. Like it's you read that, you know what went on. Um, and like there's a moment in there that that details Daniel Reyna suddenly becoming very, very uncooperative with the investigation. I think it started to dawn on them, oh, like he's kind of Greg has called our bluff. He's he has now owned the story in a way that almost makes him a sympathetic figure. You know, talk. He he has now been given the platform to expose his own truth, to tell the truth the way he wants it out there, um, to talk about all the things that he's done to try to write this. And so, like all of a sudden, the story kind of started to turn on the Reynas. In that, why would you do this? Like, why would you, why would you dredge all of this up from thirty years ago? And so, Danielle Reyna becoming really uncooperative in the investigation, not answering phone calls, being withholding with information, changing her story a little bit here and there. Uh, I think she started to realize that this this had spun out of control for for however they wanted to control the narrative. They lost that control when Bearhalter essentially took took it over from them and, and called their bluff and owned the story himself. Yeah, their their toxic upset at what was at, at the at the perceived slights towards their son um, really, really kind of clouded their judgment completely. But I think that might have been the moment of clarity. Do you know what I woke up to this morning? I did probably one of those kind of unhealthy things where you roll over, you get your phone, and the first thing you go is on Twitter or Instagram. Uh-huh. And I went on Instagram and I was flicking through the stories. And uh, our friend Heath Pierce, uh, he tweeted a pic or he posted a picture in his story, and he and he just commented below, "This is a wild picture," and it is quite an amazing picture. It's on the wall at the surgeon's office for the the national team where the national team has its uh, surgeries or its surgeon that, that works with the players. And it's, I guess it's, I want to say 2000, 2001. And it's a picture of a drill and there are a line of uh, markers and it looks like a sprinting drill. So you start off backwards, then you turn and you sprint out. So at the end of the sprint facing the camera, is Claudia Reyna behind him with his arms out, maybe for balance, but it looks like he's blocking or protecting Reyna from running away is Brian McBride. And right in front of him, clearly looking over his left shoulder as he's about to embark on this sprint, on this drill, is Greg Bearhalter. It's it's one of those where you're like, is this some kind of, you know, Terminator 2 warning from from the future in the past. Like it's, it's crazy because it does look as if like McBride is trying to separate the two guys and they're, and, and Bearhalter's looking over his shoulder almost with, with a look of kind of concern as to what rain is going to do. Um, amazing. And also if you just stop trying to be uh, weird about it, like I am, if you just break it down, if you told those guys in 2001, 2002, whenever that was at that camp, Hey, this is how your lives are going to play out. You're young men now, you're players, you're professionals. But in the future, this is what's going to happen and you will be the subject of an investigation. Just... I mean, it's like Hatfield and McCoy's type stuff. 
You know, Claudio Reyna was the best man at Greg Berhalter's wedding. Like Daniel Reyna herself throughout one of her statements uh, in talking about the how upset they were that Gio wasn't getting playing time after he didn't play against uh, the Welsh team in the World Cup. She says, you believe this after 40 years of history. You know, that I mean, that is one thing that she said that does give some clarity to all of this. 40 years. And, no. you know, we've done a bunch of podcasts uh, since this all went down. Uh, talking about the Reynas and the bear halters and all that. And, you know, I think that that's the part that makes this in some ways the ugliest. I think it's that, that relationship because it goes so deep. You know, I, I think that there is that element of it's the people who you care about the most who can hurt you the most. Well, Rosalind and, and, uh, and Danielle were in contact. I, I, we understand from the report kind of close, Right up until the middle of the World Cup, I want to say the Wales game. I think was at was when they she stopped. Danielle stopped contacting Rosalind Berhalter. You know, uh, yeah. I mean, there, there's the one story in the report that says the Reynas refused to get. There's a there was a bus with the family program, basically of all families of World Cup of, of the players and their families, and you know, I guess there was a bus that takes them to and from venues or whatever. The Reynas refused to get on. The bus because the Bearhalter family was on it. That was during this World Cup. I mean, it's 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 the betrayal as well because I, I I still have that that vision of of the two uh, the two young girls traveling up to pursue their dream back to Jersey, even though they were in college in the South, making like that long long journey because they loved the game and sharing things together. And no doubt, it was in that car. Because Danielle Reyna didn't see the incident. No, but she knew about it that night. After. All right, but I'm sure. I'm sure, There's no doubt that it came up at some point again, and their relationships came up, and 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 that closeness and that bond of teammates on the road together, taking turns driving, just all that that specialness. Times you won't get back again. Just erased over the playing minutes of Gio Reyna and decisions yeah. that Greg Berhalter made as manager. Um. It's a it's a god awful mess, and um, I do think you asked the question on the rundown: Is this the end of it? Like I do feel it is. You don't I, think so? I don't think so. Why not? I don't think it's over. Well, first of all, it depends what you define as the end of it. Like for one, I think this will be talked about forever. Like this sure. will always like the names involved here. And the the venue with which within which it occurred at a World Cup, like it's all just too big for this to ever really truly go away. And there's uh, going to be a podcast series or a thirty for thirty on it, a hundred percent. And I think we should, I think we should run it. I think we should host it, write it, direct it, all of those things. Well, you 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 can't do it until you get a new mic. That's true. That is that is true. <laughs> um, I mean, look, I don't know that it can go away until a, a new head coach is announced like as long as bear halter is a candidate for this job and Gio reyna is still obviously going to be a, a big part of u.s soccer moving forward he's so young and talented you know so as long as those two entities could once again cross paths it's a story now we can have this conversation again when or if bear halter doesn't get the job if a new head coach is announced if it's Mourinho, then we say okay well bear halter's out now we move on to a new era but even then, but like even then, will it will it truly go away as long as Gio Reyna is still a part of U.S. soccer? Anytime, you know, every every expression he makes, every time he's subbed out, 
every misplaced pass. Like this is now a huge stain on his resume, this whole incident. Uh, and like, this is just going to be a thing that's a part of his legacy in U.S. soccer. And it's something you're going to think about whenever things don't go right. And so I, I think, you know, it's something that eventually like cooler heads will prevail. The temperature of all this will come down. But like, I don't see this being a thing that like that you just suddenly aren't thinking about when, you know, when rain is playing, if Bear, when you see Bearhalter, like this is it's just all too to me, at least it's all too big. I mean, yeah, it, it, I think it's going to last as a story, but I, I think I think you're right. There, there is a way that it 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 doesn't affect things anymore. It doesn't infect the culture of the team anymore, and that will be the appointment of a new manager. And I I just don't see how it's Bearhalter. I don't see how it is through his own fault and through just the the nature of the story. I think I think it's I think it's yeah. over. I think the U.S. statement saying that you know there's nothing to I'm paraphrasing, nothing to preclude him being considered now. I mean, they're going to say that, obviously, because that's the findings of the report. But um, I think the writing's on the wall. I think I think it's over. And in that sense, once a new coach is installed, as you said, then then the next chapter happens. Well, I think what I think what I'm curious is like what happens now to to Gio Reyna or not Gio Reyna, but what happens now to Claudio Reyna? Like what? I think he at least for I think for a while. Uh, and you can define what a while is, I don't know, two years, three years. I think he recedes into the background. You know, I think that, you know, whatever front facing positions he's had before, whether it's with NYCFC or Austin FC, those, he, he has to recede from that for a little bit and let this all settle. I, I think so. But I, I mean, there's reputation. I, I do think that to speak to what you're talking about with, if we, when, when we, we can move past this, this is a time issue. Like a lot of time has to pass basically for this to kind of settle down. And well, so he, it's di- and it's it difficult. won't as long as he's out in front. I mean, in, he in did public. make comments about, about women referees at a, at, at a tournament that were very problematic. I mean, those, there's, yeah, I have the quote here. Yeah. Um, he was talking about um, the referee, a female referee from a tournament from a match that Gio was playing in, in the email to us soccer. He says, uh, and, I'll, I'm going to correct the spelling mistakes in this just for the sake of reading it. But he says, and in all honesty, can we get real and have male refs for games like this? It's embarrassing, guys. What are we trying to prove? A game like this deserves better attention. I mean, we know how, how things are, are going in domestic U.S. soccer in terms of like reports that have happened into the NWSL, the way the women are treated in football in general. I mean, these are not good comments that could come up in any interview. Um. Yeah, time time does make a difference, but uh, his his reputation is is in tatters tonight. It's in a it's in a bad place. Um, the last bit on this that I wanted to kind of talk about with you, I mean, we're kind of talking about it a little bit right now, but the the geo angle specifically, because like I said, for whatever for whatever happens, like most of the story to me is settled. It's all kind of in the past. The Bearhalter incident with Rosalind in college. We know about that. It happened. Greg has, we know about what he's tried to do to right those wrongs. They're married now. They have kids. Like we know all that. Reina's, the Reina's relationship with the Bearhalters. It's ruined. Like that friendship, it's over. The only, like, the only thing here other than Bearhalter's possibility of coaching this national team again, which we don't believe will happen. The real variable in all of this is Gio Reina. He is still, like we said, a huge part potentially of U.S. soccer moving forward and will be for quite some time. 
Uh, and so it's the information on him that came out of this report that I actually found to also be illuminating in addition to everything else. I'm just going to read from The Athletic because we get we get a little bit more of a look, JJ, into what happened at that camp mm. uh, leading up to the World Cup. Uh, because we've known what his behavior, you know, behavior wasn't good, but I don't know how much of the specifics we actually knew. So for anyone else who who wasn't fully aware, here's part of, uh, here's an excerpt from The Athletic, uh, Paul Tenario, he writes, in the investigation, Stewart also confirmed some of the details telling uh, about Reyna, telling investigators that, quote, coaches had concerns about Gio Reyna's level of fitness for the first game because he was recovering from an injury. In addition, Mr. Stewart told us that Gio Reyna's performance was poor during a scrimmage game because he walked around and moped around the whole time. Mr. Stewart, uh, Mr. Stewart said, although it looked like he might still be injured, he mostly, quote, seemed ticked off and, quote, did not appear to be trying at all. Mr. Stewart told us that Mr. Berhalter talked to Gio Reyna after that scrimmage to inform him that his effort was not satisfactory and he needed to adjust his mentality. However, Mr. Stewart said that Gio Reyna's behavior continued for a couple of days of training, even after the scrimmage and discussion with Mr. Bellhalter. Uh, for example, Mr. Stewart said players were required to do sprints on training days after a scrimmage, and other guys were busting their tails doing their sprints while Gio didn't do anything. Mr. Stewart said this behavior continued after the U.S. played in their first game at the 2022 World Cup. This was not just a, a single incident. Like, it, it sounded a lot like he had a bad scrimmage. It didn't go well. It didn't sit well with a lot of the guys. They had to talk about it and move. And, you know, they, they, the players' leadership council convened. They voted. They kept them there, whatever. It sounds like this was extensive, that this lasted for a while, this kind of behavior. Um, you know, and on top of that, like, for me, the big thing, for whatever frustrations uh, I had with the Reynas and all of this, there was always J.J., like the the complicated part for me mentally in like in dealing with all this was like I I was very clear after the Wales game in saying something must have happened here. Gio Reyna must be hurt. There must mm. be questions about his fitness because there nothing makes sense that he wouldn't play. He's too talented. Like I, I couldn't figure that part out. And so in the midst of all this, we come to find out that Bearhalter tells Gio Reyna prior to the tournament that his what was the quote exactly that the Reyna said that he, his role would be extreme. Gio said in his statement, limited. "My role would be extremely limited." Um, now, again, those were Gio Reyna's words, and that is subjective. And who knows what the actual words were? It's hard for me to believe that Bearhalter said, "Gio, your role will be extremely limited at this tournament." I just can't see that. But like, but in the end, I had I always had a hard time reconciling that. Because there was part of me that was that always sort of felt like, well, I know how I'm how mad I was that Gio Reyna didn't play. So I can imagine him feeling the same way. But this story sheds a little bit of light on it if you believe that first part, saying that there were members of the coaching staff that just didn't believe he was fit yet. So if that's the case, if they didn't think he was fit, they had questions about that, then they see him with this performance in their last scrimmage before World Cup. Suddenly it paints a little bit of a clearer picture as to why he wouldn't play versus Wales. Not fit plus not trying equals not playing. I get that. I understand that. And I can I can understand Greg Berhalter coming to the decision that he came to to not play Reyna in that game. Yes. Um, we should mention that. And it, it's always interested me. Sebastian Kehl, who is the sporting director at uh, Borussia Dortmund, when these reports first filtered out in December, his reaction was that this was incomprehensible, that Gio Reyna would act that way. And I think it speaks somewhat, and maybe it's a factor, but the closeness of Gio Reyna to Bearhalter. Bearhalter would have been like 
a, a fairly big figure in his life or someone he knew of as his father's dear friend. And in acting up um, the way he did, wouldn't it be easier to do that to someone you know? Wouldn't the hurt be more palpable when it's someone you know that you feel is wronging you? There's nothing U.S. soccer can do about that. It is a small, a small together community, especially those who are, we'll say, graduates of 98 and 02, who are now the executives and managers in 2022. Um, yeah, I just, I don't know. Certainly, like, his reputation hasn't been harmed at Dortmund, um, although he came on as a sub at the weekend in the 80th minute in that um, brilliant 2-2 game against Schalke. So, you know, I'm sure they're still seeing him as a prospect, someone to be developed, someone that they maybe can sell in the future for for a big fee. But like, yeah, it kind of does his the reports of his behavior just tarnishes his character as a professional. Even though it happened when he when he's while he is still young, that is not something that a lot of clubs will be delighted to hear about. No, uh, no, I wouldn't think so. And I wonder too, can like do a parent do the the parents of a player, who, parents who act that way, I don't think that helps the kid. Like, do teams want to deal with that? Are teams going to shy away from that? No, but he's, I mean, he's practically an adult. Now, the involvement of the parents in this thing, unless the parent is the actual, like, agent, should be minimal. Well, it should be. It hasn't been. And again, I think that might go back to the overprotective nature of the Reynas due to their own trauma. Yeah, that is the last bit that I wanted to say on this. For whatever, for whoever they conducted themselves during this, I do think that it, it bears mentioning that I do, I do understand why they would be frustrated. You know, like for them, like you said, their own history with having lost a son. I cannot even imagine how that, in some way, changes the chemistry of a person's brain in terms of how they view their their children. I mean, I, I it's honestly the, the thought of it is horrifying to me. Um, so I'm sure that that is part of it. And then think even, I mean, even go, that's thinking like on the on the deepest and largest level, just shrink it down and think smaller. Think about what this year was like for Gio leading up to a World Cup. Think about, you know, all the injuries that he dealt with. By the way, an injury that he suffered while on international duty at the first, uh, in the first window of World Cup qualifying. Yeah. You know, he spent the whole year struggling to get back. We've seen him on the field suffer a setback and basically break out into tears on the field. Yeah. So the rain is were they had a front row seat. His parents had a front row seat to everything that he that he did over the course of that season to to put himself in a position to get back on that team. All the rehab, all the training, all the setbacks, and he did it. He got healthy enough just in time to get back onto that roster. They saw all the work that went into it. This dream was finally being realized by their son. And then this is how it's playing out at the World Cup. He's being told, no, 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 all that work. To them, what they're hearing is all that work was for nothing. You're not going to play. And so I can see, as a parent, I can see the frustration that a family would feel. I'm not saying they conducted themselves the right way. They absolutely did not. What they did to the Bearalters here was reprehensible. But to sit here and act like I can't understand a parent feeling any sort of frustration extreme frustration in a situation like that, that would be disingenuous. That's wrong. They, I, had, they needed to find a different way of channeling it. I, I, I get that, Andrew. I really do. Um, but there is nothing worse than parents who don't step aside and leave their kids to their lives at that moment. And that moment comes much, much quicker 
for professional athletes and footballers than it does for for a lot. Like we see kids, kids in their mid to late 20s who are completely still tied to their parents and either financially or emotionally. But um, parents have to know when it's over. Like when, when, when it's, when the, when the support and the nurturing that they gave and the defense that they gave their kids in those early years, when that time stops and that time stopped for Gio Ren, it's a professional footballer. And the fact that they are still hanging around and doing the things that they were doing. And, you know, it's, it, there's a lot of people saying, well, it's classic New Jersey soccer parents and, and I've met classic New Jersey soccer parents, and yes, they are they are difficult, but it shouldn't uh, be brought in because it kind of diminishes the the nastiness and the vindictive nature of what the Rainers did. It was it was terrible uh, to conduct those kind of attempted character assassinations just for playing minutes for their son. Yeah, yeah. I, I like I, I honestly hope we don't have to talk too much more about this in the future. I really I honestly do because it's tawdry. I agree. I agree. Um, last question for me for you. Put a percentage number to it. Percentage chance that Bearhalter manages this team again? Zero. Zero. Zero percent. Zero percent. That's the stench, the uh, the the whiff of all this uh, controversy is remains for for a long long period. Uh, U.S. Soccer will look at Giorena and they'll still say he's one of our best position prospects to for the next cycle um, for World Cup 2026 and can't have that that interaction between the two. It's over. It's I, over. I actually, for however, for whatever my reaction was there, I agree with you. I think it's 0% also. But I think yeah. U.S. soccer likes him. And I think they, so they, they were always going to do this as gently as they possibly can. They wanted him to come out of this looking favorable to set him up for another job somewhere else. They don't, this, this, for them, this couldn't end with him being unemployable. And so I, cause like, imagine JJ here, they're going to hire a sporting director they, they made it clear in the report. They're going to hire a sporting director. And then that person will conduct the coaching search. So for everybody who's like waiting on bated breath for the coach to be announced, they haven't even hired the sporting director yet. Right. The search hasn't even started for the next coach. So it's going to be a while, but like, imagine that new sporting director coming in and then saying, yeah, you, you're back in charge. They, they want to deal with that. They no. want to invite that controversy into their into their new tenure. No, with this team, no. There's just no way they don't want to be answering those questions. They don't want to put Reina in that position. They don't want to put the Bearhalter in that position. They want this all to be in the past. And the only way it goes in the past is if Bearhalter goes away. Uh, and so, in that respect, like I don't, with the way the Reina's conducted themselves in this, I don't want them to win. But in the end. For whatever they did, they sacrificed their own reputations. But for whatever their end game was here to help their son, if that was getting Bearhalter to be gone, then well, there's a chance that they will have won. Uh, how how or they may see it uh, as a win. Is there ever any winning from outing yourself as a terrible person? I don't, I don't think so. Probably not. I'd like to think not, but I also wouldn't have done a lot of the things that they did here. So I'm I'm different. You're different. I think a lot of us are different than than how the Rainers have kind of exposed themselves to be. Oh, Andrew, I, as, a, as an Irishman, I, I must push back against that compliment of just saying I'm different. I'm terrible, but just in a different way. In a different way. Yeah. yeah you have your own, <laughs> you have your own issues. So yeah, for now, that is the end of this chapter until the next chapter is written. Um, whenever another manager is appointed, just a ugly, it's just, a, I was talking to somebody at work today 
And I was just like, it's just such a shame, like on so many levels, but none more so, JJ, than like this World Cup could have been a fun memory. Like five points in the group stage is pretty good for the U.S. A really, really, really dramatic goal scored by the face of this team and Christian Pulisic in a must-win game against a like a, a political rival, like even beyond soccer and sports. Like, like there was, I don't know, like a, a really thrilling draw against England on Black. Like a lot of fun stuff happened. You don't even, it's almost like you don't remember it. Like, no. This is just this has just been so all consuming since then. I, I I do I I'm excited to be beyond this. I am, even though it may not sound like that, because I do like it. Sounds like I like talking about it because it's inter- It is interesting if you're into U.S. soccer and the names involved are so gargantuan that like it's it's kind of an interesting thing to talk about. But it's just so ugly um, that you know. Yeah, I think it's in everyone's best interest that this if this kind of just settles down and and we move on. Yes. And so with that, we'll move on. Let's go ahead. We'll take a quick break. Uh, when we come back on the other side, I don't know, maybe JJ has some new drug commercial that he wants to uh, debut here on the uh, on Caught Offside. But we'll hey, be back. Credit to the Manchester United fans who took the drug commercial really, really well. And then kind of not credit to the ones who thought that Liverpool uh, losing 1-0 to Bournemouth in any way it would soothe or was a, a a gotcha moment. Oh, after they after being beaten seven nil. Oh, like oh, JJ has he's got his gloves up. He's <laughs> no hurtling uh, no. up into defensive mode here. No, 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 no. I know all the versions of you, and this is angry JJ. Oh no, 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 not angry at all. In fact, there was uh, there was one of them where uh, you know because seven up the uh, soft drink. Uh, has been used uh, by Jamie Carragher, amongst others, as as a joke against Manchester United. And then because the Cherries beat Liverpool at the weekend, you know, it was Cherry Coke uh, for Liverpool. Ah, ha, 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 ha. But, um, oh, no. Like, the, the Are idea... we seeing a give it but can't take it version of JJ Devaney? Oh, no, no, no. I actually, I, I thought it was, that was pretty good. But um, you're, you're taking, I think you're taking... Uh, DEA concerning levels of copamine. If you think that <laughs> Liverpool on the same and also on the same weekend that you can only draw with Southampton. Oh, I mean. <laughs> all right. Let's go ahead. Let's break. We'll gather ourselves. <laughs> we'll talk all about this and much, much more. JJ's interview with Gavin Cooney also about the Gary Lineker situation. At that PC. is, I, this is a great interview. Th- yeah. This will illuminate all your questions about more than just Lineker and more than just uh, match of the day which uh, all of a sudden Americans know what match of the day is now. All right. Lots to do still here on Caught Offside. Don't go anywhere. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST, 
and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Oh, back now on Caught Offside. JJ, um, real quick before we get into some of the Premier League action. Um, boy, like daylight savings, you having a hard time with it? I've been a disaster today. Oh, it's uh, it's killed me. So Saturday night, I had an event I was at in Yonkers, where all Irish events must be held. <laughs> what was this? Oh, it was uh, the Sligo Association had a banquet, and they were um, honoring two uh, friends of mine who uh, two retired NYPD detectives, and uh, they're both from their their parents. Their father was both from Sligo, so the Sligo Association of New York were were honoring this. And so, you know, I stayed a little bit late, which ordinarily wouldn't wouldn't matter so much. But when I got home, it was like just it was after midnight and you're losing the hour, losing an hour. And I have soccer at 8 a.m. Oh, that, that oh. should be illegal. That should oh. not be allowed to schedule something that early. The day brutal. After. So, I mean, I barely put my head down and I was like, oh, it's time to get up again. So I get up and um, now I played the soccer game. It was so it was absolutely really enjoyable. It was at um the East River Park, just looking right down at the Williamsburg Bridge on the East River. So it was really nice. It was a lovely morning for soccer. Thoroughly enjoyed myself. But um, but I was so tired. Like the middle of the day, I had to fall on the carpet and have a nap. I just collapsed. I was so yeah. tired. Yeah, it's been a rough one. I played a lot of soccer this weekend. No, you didn't. Actually. I did. I, I invented a game uh, with my seven-year-old son and his friend. We played literally for hours on Saturday and Sunday. It's the most, oh. it's the most I've run in in years probably decades and i'm so sore um <laughs> but it was fun it was very fun soccer tag oh they basically i was it i so i had the ball they ran around and i had to hit them with the ball um again dead uh, my accuracy with my right foot it's deadly accurate but that's all i have i have no left my dribbling ability is poor subpar <laughs> <laughs> but it was great fun such wholesome fun yeah, I know. It's been it's been an amazingly wholesome uh few weeks really, for you. It really has. I got to make up for it. I need to go on some kind of bender. Yeah, we got to send you to Vegas. Yeah. Yeah. Or Just even, get get debauched. Yeah. Or even what's an even like uglier play, place to be than than Vegas? Reno? Yeah, Tijuana, I don't know. Some place, you know, where you get into real trouble. Yeah. Maybe maybe send you to the Amsterdam. I might be okay. Yeah, I can yeah. see you in trouble there. I would love to go there. It sounds beautiful. Um, anyway, none of this matters. Um, let's talk about some of the uh, the Premier League action over the weekend. JJ, we'll start at the top of the table as both Arsenal and Manchester City victorious over the weekend. Arsenal keeping Man City at arm's length. Um, a couple takeaways, I guess. From we'll kind of group both of these games, you know, even though they're separate into sort yeah. of one one talking point here. Um, Boy, Leandro Trossard for Arsenal. Like this was, I don't know. Like we we liked him. We are we've always been pretty clear on that that we've we've been very fond of him. But I think just because it seemed so clear during the January window that Arsenal's top target was Mikhailo Mudrik and they missed out on him, this just always felt like a consolation prize. Like it felt like it was it was a hard transfer to really celebrate because it wasn't really the one that Arsenal wanted. But in the end. If his price tag is only 27 million pounds and Mudrix was what, 80, 
something. And I even, I, I don't remember off the top of my head, but somewhere around there, you know, we're talking over 50 million pounds difference between the two. And Trussard is going to contribute what he's contributing to Arsenal. Mudrick will come good at some point, I'm guessing. But I mean, Trussard had three assists in the first half over the weekend. Like he's, he's been a, a vital component to Arsenal when he's gotten opportunities uh, this was, I don't know, you have to start thinking about that signing maybe a little bit differently than however we received it initially. Yeah, and I remember seeing some stuff from the stats guys. Hey, you know, he's 28, 29, you're paying not a huge amount of money, but he'll be on big wages going to Arsenal, you know, thinking long term. Whereas Arsenal are really thinking, how can we bolster for this title race that we are clearly leading right now? Yeah. Um, And I think it was, I think he's one of those signings that was a, a savvy, savvy move. Um. Just, just on the goals, uh, and I, I, I think it was a very, very comfortable performance for Arsenal. They had their, unlike the last two games, they had their business locked up with, uh, with the first half. It was done. It was over at half time, um, and that was, you know, pleasing to Mikel Arteta uh, in the way he talked in his post match. But first goal, corner kick, Gabriel knocks home. The second one, Trossard. It's a really brilliant turn and across, digs it out for Martinelli. I have to make mention we're we're a podcast out of the United States. That's some of the worst defending I've ever seen from Anthony Robinson. Um, <laughs> and boy, were from, they Matt. I think it was Matt Holland on the broadcast who was keen to point it out. Oh, very keen because it's so bad. He makes no attempt to challenge, makes this faint kind of claim that he got climbed on. He just stands there and it's pathetic. And it's, it's, it's one of those things that like he will, he will be mortified or he should be mortified watching the tape back of that. But it's, it's a very good cross anyway from, uh, from Trossard. And, uh, you know, I think, I I think he's just one of those pieces that we look back in, in, in years to come and say, what, what a savvy signing that was. Now I don't, I don't think in terms of our January signings, he's in the same league as like Suarez or Virgil van Dijk. But at the same time, he's, he's really doing a job for Arsenal. And, um, that's a very satisfying performance to get in, get out, get it done and not have another weekend of, of, of the, the drama that they had um, in the, in, in previous weekends is against Villa and against uh, Brentford. Very good. Very, very good from Arsenal. And they, Tim Howard on the, on the broadcast said, kind of doesn't see anyone stopping them now. He thinks uh, it's theirs to lose. Well, it is theirs to lose, but this is that much, that much is true, but yeah, I, I still feel like there'll be not another over. twist. It's not over. Uh, I should say, too, about Anthony Robinson. That incident came after he had an a, an own goal denied through VAR and an offside in the buildup. Well, I, I wouldn't kill him for that one. That was actually a brilliant turn by Martinelli. He destroyed Tet, and then he crosses, and um, Leno bats it out, and right. uh, it hits... Uh, it hits uh, Robinson and like, I mean, there's very little he could do about it, but it could have been like a nightmare first half for him. Yeah. But instead he just has the shame of not trying to defend on a cross. I think with that one, it just seemed like he got caught wrong side and just didn't know how to get back in the picture. He just like, there was no way other than committing a penalty. He, in his mind, he didn't think there was any way back in. And what that looked like was a non-effort. I don't know if that's what it was. I don't know. It was. He's got to get up. Pretty. He's got to get up and at least attempt he's to challenge jump. Andrew. He's just least, even the fact that he, he didn't jump was, was not a good look, even for the optics. But a very good win for Arsenal, and I think that's. And, and by the way, Odegaard's uh, Odegaard's goal was 
was really good too. Again, Trossard picking him out, controls it well, cuts inside and buries it uh, low and hard. So Arsenal, yeah, looking very good. Yeah. Uh, Man City, meanwhile, we mentioned them too. Uh, like I said, a narrow win for them. They win 1-0. I don't have too much to say about the game. It's Because it was some... crap? <laughs> yes, essentially. Uh, but certain things around Man City right now I do find interesting. Um, you know, it's funny. One of the things with this season, there's been so much of a focus on Erling Holland. You know, is he Premier League player of the season? Is he a disappointment? Like he's just become a magnetic figure in this league. And maybe in the midst of that, Kevin De Bruyne's exploits or lack of exploits have kind of gone under talked about until now. Um, and Pep basically came right out and said that we need Kevin De Bruyne to be better for us. Uh, he said, he's got to get back to doing the simple things and they're kind of encouraging to, to, you know, get back into that sort of mindset. Uh, De Bruyne himself even talked about it a little bit. His not necessarily that, but his getting older, uh, how much time is left in his career. He says he's not, you know, he's only 31. He's not thinking about the end, but, you know, he did it. It was one of the first times he was pretty candid. It was one of the first times that I really heard him talk openly uh, in that sort of way. Um, and, you know, I think that there's, I think there's truth in this. Like, I think, you know, we spend a lot of time on Grealish and Holland and, and that sort of thing, but De Bruyne has been the engine for this club through this era. Uh, and I think we're seeing a little bit that when that engine isn't operating at full efficacy it's it's going to affect what goes on with this team and i think some of that has has bore itself out this season yeah i think so don't forget de bruyne was in kind of contemplative mode at the world cup i know describing his teammates as too old but i think he was including himself in that in that analysis so i think he's conscious of the end too and the more injuries you have and he's had a lot over the past five six years um the more you uh you realize that this is finite and um, it'll be interesting to see how he finishes out the season. Yeah. The funny thing though, JJ, is that like, he sets such a high standard. I think he's leading, is he leading the Premier League in assists? See, so he has like 13 assists, I think. I'm trying to look it up on the fly, but like <laughs> that, that's pretty amazing. Um, you know, that, yeah, he's, uh, I think he's on 12 assists right now. That's pretty great. Um, still leading that's, the that, league. That's a good pelt considering it's only March. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing with Man City, obviously they have a massive Champions League fixture coming up uh, with RB Leipzig. And Pep spoke about it a little bit. Uh, and this idea that Manchester City and this era will be judged by how they have performed in Europe. And Pep said it's public opinion. It doesn't mean I agree with that, but absolutely I'll be judged on that. Since I arrived here ahead of the first game in the Champions League, the first time sitting before the media, people said I was here to win the Champions League. I said, what? If I was manager of Real Madrid, that's not going to happen. I could understand it, but here, I don't know. But I accept it. As much as I go through, it's not going to change that. Um, this is one where, you know, we try to we try to be opinionated and take a side and all that. Um, this is one where I fluctuate a little bit about, no. about Manchester City and how this era will be viewed. Because Why? I, because I can't help it. Because... For me, yes, I understand the money that's been spent and the reason you go out and you get a Pep Guardiola, it's it's to achieve great success in Europe. I understand that. But I don't care. Like, if if this all ends and they haven't won one, I can't erase from my mind the dominance that this team has played with for an era in this league. A hundred points. You know, Liverpool pushing them the way they have, where basically both teams had to be perfect and City managed to do it. 
the style of football that they played, just how great they were. Like if, if it ends with no Champions League trophy, and I don't know, 15 years from now, you ask me who are some of the best teams I've ever seen in the sport, I'll still say Pep's Man City. I just will. That's crazy. <laughs> it's absolutely crazy. How is it crazy that a team that went 100 points in the Premier League, I would say, is great? That I would say that, the, you know, that won multiple titles in what we consider to be the greatest league in the world. How is it crazy? It's not it's because because you're putting it up against Pep's uh, Barcelona, where European Cups were won and leagues were won. Well, if I'm com- yeah, all right. Fine. Right? If, the, if the standard is Pep's Barcelona, sure, I'll put. I'll put of course, it's I'll the standard. Of course, it's the standard. Like the the most expensive project in the but history to, of to football if, is if going not, to end without if the Champions not what League. What Barcelona was under Pep that there that it wasn't a great era. That's nonsense to me. Who said it's not? Who said it's not a great era? That's the question: is that this era will be judged on Champions League? So if you're saying that, it, so what? You're going to say this era was a failure if they don't win one? No, uh, it's not I because. Well, that's what that's what he's that's what you're intimating is that this era is a failure without a Champions League. I I can't see it that way. Well, yeah, I th- I think it absolutely uh, absolutely is a failure without a Champions League. That because the, the sheer volumes of money that have been spent by the United Arab Emirates to do this to put this whole thing together, and they can't win a Champions League, and not just can't win a Champions League, like some of the teams they've been beaten by on the way in the semi-finals, like teams that couldn't even get within a whiff of half the value of the Man City roster, beating them and knocking them out. Pep overthinking things. Like, you have to factor all that in, Andrew. Like, it will be it will be a failure. Absolute failure. Same way PSG not winning a Champions League will, will constitute a failure for that project too. Like, state-run football flooding, state-run clubs flooding football with this money is to win and compete at the highest level. And they won't have done that if they haven't won a Champions League. It's not the same as PSG to me because PSG winning league titles doesn't that doesn't constitute the level of accomplishment and achievement that Manchester City doing it in the Premier League, especially with that Liverpool team being their their greatest competition and Chelsea, too, for that matter. You know, four titles in the last five years. And who knows? They might get another one this year. Five titles in the Premier League in six years. If they go on and pull that up or even four and six, that's not a successful era. I mean, look I mean, at the, of course, like, look at is. their point but, titles: like, one hundred points, ninety-eight but, points, eighty-six points, ninety-three points. Like this is crazy. But this guy, but this conversation is so it's so dumb in a way, though, because like they should be doing this. That's exactly what they should be doing. Like, and, we, and we're comparing it with other eras, and it, it like it just doesn't match up. It's like this is fabricated. It's it's all pumped and driven by money. That's what it is. I mean, it's so one th- it's one thing to say they should be winning titles, but needing to do it with 100 points. I mean, I don't think anyone should be doing that. That to me is that's another level. I, I mean, it absolutely is. It's 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 crazy. It's it's distorted. It's it's madness. And it 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 pushed it took a, a an exceptional Liverpool and an exceptional Jurgen Klopp to, to come close to what they did. Imagine if Liverpool hadn't existed in this period, what we'd be talking about. Yeah, it would it'd be utter, utter city. Yeah, it would, it would be what Juve were for a generation or what Bayern have been for. A, that, that The Premier League would be dull in that yeah. same kind and of And I mean, way. some people might argue that even when Liverpool and City were going for it, it was dull anyway, apart from those games. Well, maybe. Um, all right. Well, at any rate, uh, let's see. Continuing now, JJ, Manchester United, uh, they settle. Actually, again, not all nil-nils are created equal. Pretty thrilling, I would say. Um, whenever we talk about draws, we always assign 
winners and losers. It is, after all, not just a draw. Who do you uh, who is the winner and loser of this one? Well, it was it's the first league game after uh, what happened at Anfield, and so you know United had a good performance against Real Betis in 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 midweek. They were one. Uh, they were leading one nil. Betis pegged them back, and then they went on and won it convincingly. So there was kind of a, a hope of building momentum. And you know, Southampton at home is a game they should be targeting to win, and sure. not winning it kind of just—it's not good. It, 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 the winners are obviously Southampton in their battle to stay up. Um, and and United were unlucky. I mean, Bazunu save from Bruno Fernandez onto the post, and it hits. Knocks it onto the post and it bounces across the foot of the goal. Like, I mean, you can't ask for much more bad luck than that. Uh, Casemiro's red was, I mean, it was a red. I, I can't believe people are even arguing it. It's... Are people arguing it? Yeah. So United was. aren't appealing. They're they're yeah, going to no. just take it. Of course they're not. But um, again, it was red. It, yeah, it was at the went in studs first on top over the top of the ball. I mean, yeah, out of control, out of control, it. both feet off the ground. I mean, it's 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 hitting all the. It's hitting all the buttons there. But, um, I mean, obviously that was a bit of a disaster now because of the length of the suspension he's likely to get. Um, but, yeah, I, I think it was a better result for Southampton from the simple fact that they, they going to, this was a game they would not have marked down as something they would have got points from. And it's a bit disappointing for United because they would have liked to have built on the midweek momentum against Betis and, and they couldn't do it. Yeah. Uh, the only reason I ask the question is because, like, you're right, on paper, Southampton would not have looked at a trip to Old Trafford as being a place where they could, you know, really get much. But I don't know. I mean, like, I feel like once the red card occurs so early in a game, uh, it sort of changes the the math a little bit of how you view the rest of it. If you're Southampton, you you kind of feel like maybe you should have, maybe you should have gotten a win to be up a man for almost six, 60 minutes, basically, including stoppage time. That's, yeah. Have you seen Southampton this season though? Yeah, I, mean, I mean, but 11 V 10, I don't know, I but don't they nearly so. did. I mean, they like De Gea made one of the one of the great saves that I've seen recently early in this one. James Ward-Prowse hit the the crossbar on one of his free kicks. By the way, what a cool thing that would have been had he broken Beckham's record there at Old Trafford. <laughs> that would have been kicks. very cool. Oh, all right. I was so mad that it didn't happen. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I guess you make a good point. That, I mean, that as many shots on target as United did in the game, but I I, I still get the feeling that it's a. Uh, it's a better point for for Southampton than it is uh, for Manchester United, just in the context of everything else. Can we talk real quick about Casemiro? Yeah, yeah, uh, I want to actually. Yeah, like you said, the red. I had no issue with it, just like you. I thought it was. Uh, you know how you know me. I like to applaud VAR in these moments. I am <laughs> VAR's PR man, and they need good PR at all turns. And this is a good PR moment for the VAR. Um, Casemiro. Yes, he's really become an interesting figure at United because I think he's. Boy, he so quickly integrated himself as being like the most important player. Um, usually, that's for the better, but this is now his second red mm. of the season, JJ. And what is it? What is it they say about the best ability? It's availability. It's availability. That's true. Second red, which means he'll miss four games. Yes. Fulham at home in the FA Cup, Newcastle away, Brentford at home, and Everton at home. And just to illustrate how important this guy has become. Obviously there's a, there's more to this, but I'll lay the, I'll, I'll give you the numbers and you can decide what to do with them. He's played 37 game. Manchester United played 37 games with him this season in all competitions to the tune of a 76% win rate conceding under a goal per game, 0.9 goals per game without him seven games 
that 76% win rate drops down to 43%, and that 0.9 goals conceded per game jumps nearly one goal more than that, up to 1.7 goals conceded per game. Those are significant numbers. I don't know. I guess each person can judge for themselves what they make of that sample size. I would say the sample size is probably just large enough that I don't know that I'd consider this a coincidence. He's not. No, I think I think he's been very important to them, and uh, he's he is a huge loss. He's, you know, he's brought his uh, his experience into that team. He he has definitely made them better. Um, however, I would say there was an article in the Times last week. I think it was before the seven nil. Um, and it was an interview with some people and there was a, a senior source at Manchester United who'd been around the club for a significant period of time. So I, they didn't name the source. Um, that said he was the best signing since Eric Cantona. Oh my God. Yeah. That's a team that signed Cristiano Ronaldo, is it not? That's a team that signed uh, Nemanja Vidic, is it not? That's a team that signed Dwight York, is it not? Um, I, I like absolutely wild stuff, crazy. Like Casemiro has been very, very good, but uh, I need a name. I they didn't have one, but uh, when I gotta, read it, we gotta find out. But now, like in an era where United haven't had many midfield legends of late, I guess their their willingness to cling on to someone like him kind of makes sense. Are we you sure know? he's a better signing than Bruno Fernandez? I don't think he is. I don't think he's a better signing than any of them. I think he's a good signing. I, I think he's a good signing. He has been good. But just the fact that someone senior at United would say he's the best signing since Eric Cantona is wild. Absolutely wild. Um, but but interesting, and it kind of shows maybe the, the paucity of of great like cent, center midfielders in his role, because Bruno Fernandes doesn't play really in the same position as it. Right. Um, I, I, I guess that's what it means. Uh, but I did, I did think, are they serious? Do they remember Cantona? Do they remember some of the players that came after? Ronaldo, really... for God's sake. Yeah, I know. <laughs> wow. Yeah. All right. There well, you go. I guess we'll see. I mean, we won't see for the next four games, but uh, we'll see eventually. There is one interesting thing, uh, Andrew, that if, if Harry Kane is to become a Manchester United player in the summer, which it, there's a good chance. Um, there's a chance. I think there's a good chance. There's a lot of front loading of of this team. Like it won't be really Ten Hag building kind of long term for a long term future in some positions. You'll have Varane at centre back in his thirties. You'll have Casemiro, you assume, into his thirties, well in his thirties, and then you'll have Ericsson, you assume he'll still be there in his thirties, and then Harry Kane in his thirties, all on significant contracts. Um so it feels as if um it's more of a a kind of a an NFL style setup or it it isn't it's, not it's what it, the LA Rams did like 4 years ago draft picks be damned we're signing all veterans we're winning a super bowl and then we'll figure it out when we get there which is yeah. where we are now and they're just like and i'm not saying horrible place and i'm not saying that's ten hag's plan but uh, i just i just thought about with, with the chatter about ken that's where they'd end up well, by the way, it may not be the worst idea. Like if you think, I know you talk all the time about how teams work in cycles. Yeah. And if we, we're talking about De Bruyne aging a little bit, I don't know how if Pep has a lifetime contract there. I don't know about that. Like at some point he might, you know, we might be in some sort of cycle where another team for at least a couple of years before Man City really reloads again, 
which we've seen a little bit with Holland coming in and Grealish starting to emerge. But like there could be a couple year window where if you do that and you go out and get Kane and, you know, whatever, a bunch of win now guys, you might have a couple seasons where you can contend for it. Um, so it might make sense, but I also hope that that doesn't happen. <laughs> um, let's see, JJ. So uh, Liverpool. Oh, um, I guess the FDA has come out. They've they've finally had a chance <laughs> yeah. to examine just suck it up and they've determined, no, it, it does not work. We're pulling it from the shelves immediately. Do not take this drug. Just suck it up is not safe for anyone. Contact your doctor if you have piles, reddening of the face, embarrassment, losing at Bournemouth. Yeah. I, before we even get into the game, I'm I'm curious what you think of this. So as this was playing out, Liverpool losing to Bournemouth in the wake of a week where Liverpool fans were, I'm not, don't, don't get me wrong, understandably, but Liverpool fans were loud and feeling themselves quite a bit. I mean, everyone was making jokes about it. Like, I, like I said, understandably. All yeah. right. Don't get your guard up there. No, no, no. I'm not saying I, it wasn't just Liverpool fans. This was, this was great fodder. You know, it was just hilarious. But so as this was playing out, yeah. I asked my Everton friends because, boy, they they hate Liverpool. I think you know that, but they hate them. Oh, yeah. They're, and, yeah, and yeah. So I, so I asked them, I said, OK, what's to be made of this as an Everton fan? Because, like, as it's happening, they're laughing. Oh, my goodness. This is hilarious. But then there's kind of that moment of realization of like, oh, wait, this is actually not good. Bournemouth are now getting three points in a game where we never expected that to happen. We are in direct competition with them. So I asked them, uh, a couple of them were kind of like, um, as much as I hate Liverpool, relegation and the fight to avoid relegation supersedes all. And so I, I wish that Liverpool had won the game. That was kind of their takeaway. Another okay. one said he, he acknowledged that that point from them made sense and that that is probably the correct way of approaching it. But he said, I, I can't help it. When Salah missed the penalty, I, I, I openly cheered. He said, I couldn't help it. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Um, I mean, that's why they're the bitter blue noses. That's the way they'll always be. And I don't blame them. By the way, Salah's penalty miss. Yeah, it's bad. Oh, jeez. You know the way there's like gaps in the corners of a stadium, like the Vitality Stadium? I mean, that literally went out the, and down the road and into the parking lot. Did it? Did it actually? I mean... I, Oh, maybe you don't not. Know. I thought that was like a thing. maybe not literally, Andrew. Okay. But um, <laughs> I'm a very literal person. Yeah, I, I, it kind of felt like that's what happened. Uh, look, Liverpool started decently. You thought, okay, they're they're knocking on the door here, but like once Bournemouth figured out, like <laughs> this is uh this is the team we can dominate in midfield. I mean, Jefferson Lerma versus the the two children of Bajetic and, and <laughs> Elliot in midfield. That was not. I mean, the physicality was not there. Um, Fabinho looked... Fabinho reverted to creaky Fabinho, old Fabinho. Van Dijk had a stinker. Absolute stinker. Yeah, that was the thing for me. Like, I guess I, I trust your grasp on what this looked like in the midfield. But the thing for me, defensively for Liverpool, mm. and I know this will happen, I guess, if you play a high line, but like, I couldn't believe the number of times that Bournemouth were able to run in behind the defense. Yeah. They just don't have guys who can finish. No, uh, that's true. I mean, was it Solanke or whoever took the ball really far wide and hit the side netting? That was before the goal, so there was a warning came up. Um, but 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 Virgil van Dijk on the goal was just so bad because there's literally only one place that ball is going, and it's going in behind. And instead of dropping five or six yards to give himself a head start on that ball that is definitely coming over the top, he decides to step up. 
And in stepping up, he gives himself no chance to get back. Um, and it's ball in behind. It gets gets centered and it's scored. Um, I thought Solanke, Billing were very, very good for, for uh, Bournemouth. And to give Gary O'Neill his due, those players were all, not all of them, but a lot of them, you know, would have been involved in the 9-0 at the start of the season. And that was the... That was the the thing that Scott Parker was saying that this team is going to get is going to ship lots and lots of defeats of that nature if you don't invest. But Gary O'Neill has been able to come in and do a better job than than Scott Parker in in terms of 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 making sure this team doesn't ship nine nil every weekend, um, and uh, and so approved at the weekend. But um, yeah, Liverpool aren't back. It's amazing that you can inflict a an embarrassment, a humiliation like that on your greatest rivals and still not be back. And they're not back. And I wonder if they are, like, I wonder if they are coming back. I, I think this is, I think this is the end of the cycle for a lot of these players. Um, And it might be the end of the cycle for someone like Virgil van Dijk. I mean, yeah, you have to start to think about that. Yeah. The way he's playing. Certainly. Uh, Fabinho, um, I still wouldn't have started Bajetic and, and Elliot. And I know that's the other thing. You Henderson can't play all the minutes. He can't. He probably Henderson probably didn't really train that much after Sunday's game against United, considering the physical exertions. And maybe they were looking at keeping him fre- f- um fresh and fit for this week against Real Madrid, but um it's not working. It just isn't working. And um yeah, I mean there were chances. There was the Virgil van Dijk. He had two headers. One was headed off the line. And then another one he he flubbed uh, when he should have really scored from a, a Andy Robertson. Brilliant Andy Robertson free kick. But, yeah. I mean, Trent Alexander-Arnold had another tough day. It was, I don't know. I just, whatever this team had and however it can occasionally get back to that pitch, it cannot maintain it consistently. And I do think that there's, there's major changes needed. And, and, I, I don't I don't know if they're going to happen. United right now third on 50 points, Tottenham fourth on 48, Newcastle fifth on 44 points, Liverpool then with 42, and uh, Brighton, who have almost inexplicably only played 24 games compared with Tottenham's 27 uh, on 39 points. So that games at hand could still be a thing. It's going to be an interesting race. Um, I'm not going to back off of what I said just yet. I still believe Liverpool will find their way to that fourth spot. Um, but this was important what happened this weekend. That was unexpected, I would say, to say the least. Uh, quickly now, before we get to your interview, JJ, uh, with Gavin Cooney, um, Graham Potter may be steadying the ship a little bit for Chelsea, speaking of Brighton a moment ago. Um, important 3-1 win, although I would say this, if you didn't watch the game and you only looked at the score, you probably didn't get the full story. I mean, Leicester City, oh my God, chance after chance. Uh, Dewsbury Hall missed one of the chances of the season. Yeah. In this game. And it really, I guess the thing that stood out for me is that not to say that Chelsea didn't play a good team game. There was good passages of play, but sometimes like you look at the Dewsbury Hall miss and then you look at the the three goals that Chelsea scored. And sometimes you just have to say, yeah, you know what? There's a reason sometimes that guys are worth what they're worth. Ben Chilwell, the goal that he scored, that ball just like a volley that drops in out of the sky, times it perfectly, smashes it near post, great goal. Um, Kai Havertz, who I've been really critical of, you know, a ball dinked in over the top that he just like finesses past the goalkeeper out of midair, a great finish. 
Uh, Mateo Kovacic, oh my God. Just like the technique in midair, the way he like smashes that ball with his leg turned at just like the most bizarre angle through traffic. I mean, it was just three goals that Chelsea scored that were three great goals. And sometimes it's just like the talent gap is on full display. Chelsea have, they have great players and like they're, they're capable of scoring great individual goals. And I think you saw a little bit of that in this one. Yeah, just I, I don't have a whole lot to say, but let me just name out, we'll say, the midfield and the front three. And tell me, have you ever heard of a more kind of quickly assembled, strange, disparate collection of players? Uh, Kovacic in midfield, Enzo Fernandez on the right, Ruben Loftus-Cheek, on the left, Ben, Ch- ben Chilwell. Up front, this, this is a mind-blowing front three, just uh, from so many angles. Just my my brain is trying to to cope with it. Uh, Joao Felix, Michaelo Mudrik, Kai Havertz. <laughs> That's just your classic Chelsea front three. Yeah, these. It's just a. It's, it's like watching Drogba, Lampard. Or, I don't know John Terry. Like it's it's like that kind of Chelsea. Just all when, your classic Chelsea players. Well, no, it just it does feel like what it is a a hodgepodge and collection of really talented footballers who have been brought to Chelsea um, and, and now, and now Potter has the challenge to go and make this a consistent and, and, uh, and functioning team. So I am, I'm really like, I'm, I'm constantly curious if he can do this. I'm going to say he can't. Okay. Um, well, I mean, since the two nil defeat to Tottenham, one uh, nil win against Leeds turned around the champions league match against Borussia Dortmund, the two nil win, and now a three, one win over Leicester city. So that's, that's three wins in a row during yep. this window that we said would be so important to his future. Yeah, it's good. But um, just that consistency and, and, you know, me, me being able to watch Chelsea and, and divine like a definitive way of playing. Now I definitely like the way they were in midweek against Borussia Dortmund. I definitely saw progress there, but um still a work in progress i guess yeah uh jj gary lineker yes you uh why don't you take us in here to your interview oh i mean it it was just the football was completely sidelined this weekend by a footballer who hasn't really played in 30 years but is the major presenter um of football on terrestrial tv in england that's gary lineker former tottenham and england striker and he tweeted something uh, on Wednesday last week, which caused the Tory government to react in such a way that they effectively used their influence to get him suspended and taken off the flagship um, highlights show on the BBC. And then what happened was a snowball effect where everybody else in solidarity with him, all the other presenters, analysts, uh, commentators decided they wouldn't do it. And so it we was, ended it up was basically the, the TV version of, of Rudy when all the players kind of turn their jerseys in if Rudy won't be dressed for that last game. Yes. Um it was incredible. It was it's the it's the most incredible intervention by a government in the in the affairs of a of a TV station, albeit a tax uh, taxpayer funded one that I've ever seen outside of like communist countries or state-run television. Unbelievable. And so we got lots of tweets, lots of texts, and I didn't get to all of them. But, I mean, this was making news in America. Gary Lineker was trending worldwide. So I thought I'd get Gavin Cooney of the 42.ie. 
great writer, great football writer, to come on and explain it to everyone. And he goes into, he, he really does a great job explaining it, but also kind of uh, illuminates a few things about Match of the Day, which I thought was an irrelevant show now. Mm. Really? Uh, even though, not irrelevant, but I didn't think it had the power that it apparently still has in the football zeitgeist in, in England and Ireland. And so, um, so yeah, here's my interview with uh, with Gavin Cooney on Gary Lineker, the Tories, and uh, and everything that happened at the weekend. Delighted to be joined by Gavin Cooney of the 42.ie uh, to dis- discuss a weekend in, in English football where I think things that happened off the field dominated more than the football itself. Gavin, how are you? All good. Good stuff. Uh, Gavin, uh, explain to us exactly uh, what happened because uh, American Premier League fans were uh, inundated over the weekend with uh, tweets about a former Tottenham striker who hasn't kicked a ball in 30 years, what he tweeted and the intersection between that and the and the UK government. What, what is going on? Yeah, it's kind of extraordinary. What a mad story this is. Um, so for a number of years now in the UK, the main, um, the leader of the opposition has effectively been match of the day host, Gary Lineker. Uh, Lineker <laughs> is a freelancer with the BBC, has an enormous social media following of more than 8 million people and has never been shy in expressing his political opinions online. Uh, thus approved this week, uh, the UK brought in uh, what they title is an illegal uh, migration bill. Um, now they say what the illegal refers to migration although the UN refugee agency is among a number of groups and agencies around the world wondering whether the illegal, uh, the what is illegal here is actually the migration bill rather than the migration itself. But nonetheless, Gary Lineker reacted to it online. He tweeted from his own personal account that um, there is no huge influx. This is uh, talking about refugees. Uh, we take far fewer refugees than other major European countries. This is just an immeasurably cruel policy directed at the at the most vulnerable people in language that is not dissimilar to that used by Germany in the 1930s. Um, to which Lineker was uh, was criticised by the right wing media. The BBC led, led the news at ten headlines with um, not with analysis or. Um, a detailed uh, debate around the bill itself, but rather, why should Gary Lineker be tweeting this? Does, is, has he the right to uh, tweet party political opinions because he obviously works for the BBC? And would this be um, a breach of the BBC's impartiality guidelines? Now, if if you were a BBC politics reporter and a staff member, it would have been a breach of the uh, impartiality guidelines. But Gary Lineker is a freelance sports presenter. Um, so... He, he was kind of a little bit taken aback by all the controversy over it and the media attention on it. But he tweeted um, in midweek, the day after he initially tweeted, that um, he was kind of taken aback by the response to it all, but he would be presenting match the day on Saturday. And then everything changed on Friday afternoon when the BBC announced uh, that Lineker uh, was being stood down for match of the day um, over his tweet. And as they looked into the issue and then, uh, well, all hell broke loose. Yeah, Gavin. Um, so... It- people are talking about the dark hand of, of the Tory government intervening here in a beloved iconic institution. Is is that the case? Pretty much, yeah. I mean, the BBC obviously is clinging to impartiality guidelines and 
Um, but you know, criticism of the BBC is that it is it is stocked now by political appointees. So uh, Tim David, the Director General, but most notably the Chairman Richard Sharp, who uh, just before he got the job introduced Boris Johnson to a man uh, helping to facilitate an eight hundred thousand pound loan. Uh, Johnson was then the Prime Minister, um, and Richard Sharp uh, was was advocating or was in the process of becoming um, the, uh, the chairman of the BBC. So it does look like that is the impression it got. I mean, would Lineker have been suspended had he not, had he praised the government's policy? It's unlikely. It did look like the BBC um, felt the pressure of the enormous um, media attention that was put in Lineker over this, and they caved into it. Um, so Lineker didn't appear on air. And the weekend, and well, very few people appeared on air, and actually, not a whole lot of footage appeared on air afterwards either. Because uh, soon after Lineker was suspended, Ian Wright tweeted uh, that he wouldn't be um, appearing on Match Today on Saturday night in solidarity. Alan Shearer followed, the commentators on Match Today followed, and uh, then other BBC Sport uh, colleagues followed um, in solidarity with Lineker as well. So Football Focus wasn't broadcast, it was replaced by Bargain Hunt. Final <laughs> Score wasn't uh, broadcast, it was re- uh, replaced by a repair shop. And Match of the Day was cut to 20 minutes with no commentary, no studio, no punditry, no interviews, no puns. Uh, and uh, as I say, no theme music even, JJ. So what? it was broadcast for 20 minutes. Totally contextless stuff. Just the just the footage of the gold and a couple of the highlights. And then the remaining hour of the show was, uh, was filled by... A movie called Sully, which uh, which Tom Hanks plays a pilot who lands, uh, crash lands a plane in the Hudson River. Amazing. Uh, so so where do we stand now with with Gary Lineker, or, or rather, where does he stand? Has he been reinstated? Uh, I, you know, I, I presume if they want to have a show, they need to have Lineker back on because no one else will do it. Yeah, correct. Right. So he's back. He'll be back this weekend. It was all well. We said resolved, but this specific matter was resolved earlier on Monday. The BBC announced that they'd be reviewing uh, their social media guidelines for freelance presenters such as Lineker as to what they can tweet and what they can't tweet um, in, in line with the BBC's impartiality rules. Uh, the Tim Davy, Tim Davy, the director general of the BBC, apologised uh, to all staff members. So although it didn't specify Gary Lineker, it perhaps, I guess, by extension, that includes Lineker. Uh, and Lineker is back to work now. Um, so he'll be back on Saturday. And he did, he he, uh, he did, he did tweet like he was thankful to Tim, Tim Davey throughout it all. He said, you know, we're effectively that we're in this together. Uh, but Lineker's first tweets after the whole thing was, uh, was resolved was, you know, thanking everyone for their solidarity and their support and so forth, uh, but did add that a final thought, however difficult the last few days have been, it doesn't compare to having to flee your home from persecution or war to seek refuge in a land far, far away. So um, he's, certainly, he's certainly not going to stop expressing his opinions online, uh, Gary Lineker. Is, is there a chance we, we reach this point again? I don't know. I mean, we'll have to see the review, how the review and um, how the review uh, um how that plays out and yeah. see the implications of that. Um, I don't know if the BBC will ever be silly enough again to suspend Lineker over over uh, over his tweets on political issues. They did that this weekend, and it was shown to be not a very smart idea, was it? Um, you know, there, there would be elements of the right wing pressing that will continue to to highlight Lineker. They were camped outside his house over the weekend. He will remain an avatar for the for the uh, for the right wing media, and when they want to fight their culture wars. But uh, I'd be amazed if the BBC would be silly enough to suspend him again. Considering the 
the hold that Sky Sports and BT Sports has on on the Premier League, uh, were you surprised that people, you know, the first the you know, don't come for match of the day. We we mustn't allow match of the day to be to be attacked. Um, were you surprised that it's still held with such reverence by so many people? No, not at all, actually, to be honest, because um, you know, Sky and BT are the bro are the live broadcasters, but they're behind expensive paywalls. And in fairness, you know, the, the viewing figures for these games are never massive. You know, right. I mean, uh, your your pretty routine third round FA Cup game between Derby County and West Ham on the BBC will get a higher view, live viewership figure than any Premier League game on Sky or BT. And one of the reasons that the Premier League is so big is because of match of the day. Like, I mean, look at every other sport it loses viewers, loses fans when it goes behind a paywall. The exception to the rule is uh, is the Premier League. And I remember doing a piece on, on was it the 21st, 25th anniversary of the Premier League a few years ago, looking at this idea and like executives would have said to me that, you know, one of the things that we are where we are is because of match of the day. It's such a brilliant highlights program. Like it is possible to, to it's possible to feel like you've 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 got everything covered. Like you're across yes. everything and you've seen everything you need to see in the Premier League uh, on by just solely watching match of the day and then following a new cycle and okay, you can go to the pub or whatever and find and watch the big live games if you really want to without without spending expensive Sky and BT sports subscriptions. So there's that. And there's also, you know, the history of it all. It's been what, on air since 1964. The theme music is iconic. It's a real, you know, it's one of the BBC. The BBC is an institution in and of itself, and it is one of those institutions. So the fact that it's, uh, it is a normal cultural um, appeal and cachet doesn't surprise me at all. Just think of, of this in a broader context, Gavin. Is, is football now... Maybe it always was, but is it now the dominant culture? Um, because or, or or maybe not dominant culture isn't the correct term. Maybe it's it's a vector for for everything. So we want to discuss anything in this world, whether it's it's uh, black Black Lives Matter, whether it's um, uh, transphobia, uh, anything like that. That football is is so dominant in our minds now that it is it is the route to to debate and discuss all these things. Yeah, I think it is. I think it is always has been that, you know, there's always like football and, and sport generally has always been on like phrased with too much meaning when people could talk about it being a metaphor for life. That, yeah. That's not true. But what it is, is it's a window into the world. Like, I mean, and, and because football is now this enormous business and enormous, uh, obviously the biggest sport in the world, but because it, um, it is so huge and, and it's the, uh, the, the fees involved are at such a scale that you're now getting nation states and everything involved into it. Like there are very few parts uh, of the world that football does not touch now. So it's always a, it's always a very interesting window into the world. Um, but you can also see, I mean, with regards just singularly to the UK, I mean, football... I mean, the, the, the Tory government and its right-wing press have, you know, have targeted football a few times now over the last few years. And generally, the football has stood firm um, and resolute in the face of these culture wars. So, you know, Marcus Rashford was widely backed when he spent, sent Boris Johnson spinning into U-turns over free school meals for children. Um, the England football team defies, you know, the home, uh, the home secretary, Priti Patel, in taking a knee um, um, in racial solidarity with Euros games. And now this with Lineker, you know, I mean, there is, yeah. There was the solidarity showed to him by okay, you can say fellow pundits there on decent money, but very difficult decision for commentators and and crew and producers and and so forth the BBC Sport to do that and to take that stand with Lineker. So it's pretty admirable. So um, 
yeah, like I mean, it's, like football is it's just it's it's an enormous part of the culture now. Um, and given given the number the amount of people involved in it, the the incredible uh, diversity of backgrounds in which you'll find in football, it would always be a window into the world and a way of of confronting and discussing issues. Uh, last one for me, uh, Gavin. Do you think I I read your writing over the over the World Cup in Qatar and it was it was really really good. But one one thing I noted was like that while while the football was still central to what you were talking about, you were at a tournament. Obviously, do you find yourself as a writer writing more about these issues? That it's 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 in the last few years in particular, um, it's the things that that football brings to the fore that you write about rather than the actual football. Yeah. Yeah, is the answer, and there's two reasons for it. One, I find that much more interesting than yeah. the football a lot yeah. of the time. Like you know, and yeah. two, you can't you can't not be aware. Like you can't you can't. You're now in a position where it's no longer excusable for anyone to go on air and be able and be able to talk about football and not be able or at least understand some of the political issues underpinning it. Like no one could have gone to Qatar without understanding what the Qatari state is, um, how how the re, um, regime was legitimized, how the World Cup was built, and how it's exploiting sport. You know, you couldn't, you know, it's just basic research. You need you need to be able to understand it, almost like the rules, the laws of the game at this point, you know. Um, so it's, it, it just goes to show how political um, and how enormous that the sport has become. You can't escape these things, but you can't, you know, and you always have to be able to, to discuss them and I in fairness I always loved that about sports and um, the way that it was a window into the world and into wider things and I think we've uh, I think that was why the Lineker story was such an enormous hullabaloo in the UK and across the world in fairness like I was getting push notifications from the New York Times about it yeah. because it was a way of understanding hang on a minute here's um, an increasingly authoritarian government in the UK trying to silence free speech um, and these people these people are taking a stand against it so a 20-minute match of the day broadcast without any words has actually become an emblem of the importance of free speech and why in the UK at the moment uh, they're living through an age in which they have to fight for it. Gavin Cooney writes for the 42.ie and you can listen to him on Second Captains regularly. Gavin, thanks so much for your time. Cheers, pal. So thanks to Gavin for that. Um, well, that was great. That yeah. was really, inter- really interesting. It was interesting. Um, especially what the, the, the kind of executive had told him about TV ratings and how match of the day is like still so important to the Premier League um, and how how small the number uh, Sky do and, and BT Sports do for, for a lot of these games because that, we, we're that paywall but we're told we're told all the time it's the biggest league everyone wants to watch this game and so much of it is is hype it's just pure hype the, the viewing figures don't back it up fascinating but then again they kind of do like the paywall tells one story. Okay, you can say the viewing figures don't back it up, but the fact that the highlight show is still as deeply relevant as it is when hi- when no highlight shows are relevant anymore because no. of what YouTube and Twitter have done. But this one still is. That that does tell you something about the relevance uh, of the Premier League and how I, important it is. It does, but also of match of the day and the way they do it. Like Gavin said, you you sit down on a Saturday night and when it's over, you felt as if you've seen everything, the major incidents discussed, the goals discussed. The relegation battle, the mid-table sludge, the top of the table, everything. I think um, the only thing I, I've been trying since this all started, I've been trying so hard to think of a, a comparison in this. Um, we have the, nothing like that. We don't. The only thing I can think of in terms of that show itself 
it's unfortunate that it's not as relevant anymore. But back when um, when ESPN had the Sunday night football game, they had uh, the rights to the highlight show beforehand. Whatever network has the Sunday night game has the highlight show leading up. NFL primetime during my entire childhood with Chris Berman and Tom Jackson was must see. Right. You they gave they devoted equal time to every single game. Berman and Jackson were incredible together. Um, and so that maybe people who are of my age, I'm in my late thirties can probably relate people older made mid to late thirties and older can relate to that. Um, but in terms of Lineker himself, you know, he's such a interesting figure. I don't think I always look, I always knew how important he was as a player, as a presenter. I mean, God, the guy was like the, what was he hosting the champions league draw or the world cup draw Yeah, globally. I mean, like they don't, not just anyone gets that, uh, that, that sort of honor. And he does it so effortlessly. I mean, it's like he's just this such a unique blend of gifted yeah. athlete and gifted broadcaster. Like you don't see that kind of thing. Um, so he's kind of one of one in that way. I can't think of many other guys like him. I mean, if if the only thing I could think of is if like Charles Barkley had the Ernie Johnson role on Inside the NBA, like if he was as charismatic as he is, but also was the one driving steering the ship. Like Linux, because Lineker is the one who drives these programs, right? Like he's yes. the, the presenter. Um, and then Ian Wright or Alan Shearer, like they're they're the Charles Barkley role. Um, but I can't think of anyone exactly quite like him. No, I mean, Aikman's been in the business almost as long oh, as he's Ga- not anything like this. No, but he doesn't do anything like that. And also Barkley's just... the guy. Barkley's the one who is he's the most to me, he's the most compelling, charismatic, newsmaking, interesting sports analyst in this country today i yeah uh, yeah i suppose but i mean again he's not he's, he's still not lineker and i mean the thing about it is i didn't see a whole lot wrong with what lineker tweeted i mean it, it was in line with what lineker generally tweets about this is, these issues and he's pretty open on how he feels about the migrant situation and the tory government and it's kind of really harsh and 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 scary kind of uh lurch to the far right in terms of its immigration policies like it's this isn't anything new um but it really irked people high in government and they made a mistake a huge error going after football and going after match of the day um so kind of universal support for gary lineker yeah that was what was most illuminating like i said i knew who lineker was and how i guess i knew like his his relevance and importance but I mean, to the fact that it made international news the way that it did. I mean, it's like I came out of this being like this guy could run for prime minister and win. Like I didn't I didn't quite realize like the importance he held in 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 the homes of English people. Like, I mean, this was this was not a sports story. This was like a cultural movement almost yeah. supporting him. Um, yeah. It was fascinating to me that 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 a sports show, a highlight show could could do this. But it's uh, again, it's another example of the Tories not understanding football. I mean, apart from the fact that like they 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 get it wrong so regularly on football. And it's because they're not football people. They're not working class people. That is the big thing for me. They they fail to understand what football is and you don't mess with it. You can't mess with it. No, you're right. I, I don't know if I fully agree with the notion that only working class people can be football people. I don't know if I fully buy that. I buy that. 
I don't think that's fair. I think there's a, I think there's an amount of money at which you cannot understand what football means to 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 regular people, and I think there and I think the very the very social strata out of which Tories come from, the halls of Eton, the the upper class echelons. I mean, most of those are rugby schools. They're private schools. They're not football schools. They're not. They want to appropriate soccer for their own means, and they constantly get it wrong, and they they. They failed miserably, and uh, and Lineker's back for next weekend. I don't know. I thought that guy who uh, auctioned his jersey Matt, to Matt himself. Hancock. Yeah, I think that's a football person. Yeah, but even the Tories that were coming out, like you saw, you you sent me the tweet by John Redwood, uh, who oh, is an arch yeah. Thatcherite from from way back, a, a Thatcherite ghoul from the early nineties. Uh, him trying to say that it was better. Match of the day was better with no commentary, no music, no graphics, no analysis, nothing like th- th- this kind of absolute uh, desire to win the argument. Yeah, that's that's all that was. That wasn't a real opinion. That was, no. you know, that and, was... and I, I very much doubt John Redwood has ever sat down for match of the day before willingly. <laughs> yeah, but uh, this whole thing was fascinating. And boy, Gavin, he, he explained it so well. And that was just a great. Just a great conversation. Yeah. Uh, as was this, despite the fact that it came to you in lesser quality than it usually will. Uh, hopefully I'll have a new microphone by midweek when we do our Champions League podcast. I probably won't. It takes a couple days to get these things delivered. <laughs> I'm really upset about it. This is not okay. It's you not work okay. in a media center. Go and borrow one. I, I've not seen one of these just sitting around where I work. Ask someone. And I also don't know that I'm allowed to do that. Ask someone, for God's sake. Don't put people through your weird, echoey, coughing voice again. I apologize to everyone. This was not okay that this happened, especially for such an important podcast. Uh, It's not all right. And trust me, (laughs) however, however much it bothered you, just know if it gives you any satisfaction, it bothered me 10 times more. All right. So just know that I probably won't sleep tonight. Oh, all right. That is actually true. That it bothered me. Yeah, it's like when you like people who who don't have kids, like when a when a crying child is on an airplane, like all the people around that crying child, they're mad. They want to yell like you all need to know, because I've been the, the dad of one of those crying children on a three hour flight. Just know, however mad you are, it's not even close to what what the parent of that kid is feeling. You want to you want to jump out of the plane like you, the mortification. That's how I feel right now about this microphone situation. It's the same thing. Okay, let's not let's not make people suffer any longer with your your terrible audio situation. All right. Well, hey, I enjoyed this very much. Uh, feel free to rate and review, subscribe, tell your friends. Can't stress the importance of all that enough. Uh, hopefully, the merch talk continues. We're trying to figure that out. So keep your ears open for uh, for when the developments begin to take shape on that front. Lots going on in the caught offside industry right now. It's it's a beautiful time. I caught offside towers. A lot of good things happening here. It's a busy JJ. time for old JJ. <laughs> yep, but not for me. <laughs> this was fun, though. Our thanks again to Gavin Cooney. He was great. My thanks to you, JJ, for tolerating my microphone situation. To you, I say... Buy a mic, Andy. I'll see you. Take care. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? 
Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.